everybody. Welcome to another Wiser Wednesday. Really excited today uh, for this fireside chat with uh, Tom Carter, so co-founder and CEO of Ultraleap. Um, great to see you here today, Tom. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to, great to be here. Yeah, great. And you're just back from CES, is that right? Yes, just back from CES. So still some sort of lingering remnants of CES flu uh, and <laughs> nearly, nearly yeah. recovered, I guess, two weeks on. Yeah. yeah, no, all good, because we had to postpone from last week. So, uh, but that's, that, that's great. Better to have you uh, on form today. So, um, yeah, look, for people who don't know me, I'm James Potton. I believe in uh, a world of entrepreneurial success without burnout. Um, just about got this little T-shirt, child T-shirt to prove it. Um, so we're, yeah, look, we're framing this today, you know, early in 2024, uh, a year that we'll undoubtedly see, uh, you know, generative AI permeate our daily lives. Um, and we're obviously seeing the further augmentation of kind of our reality in the virtual world. And, you know, the Apple uh, Vision Pro is out next month. So it's really timely um, to be speaking to you today, Tom. So um, be great to understand, um, you know, we met, oh, must have been, I think it was around like 2014, 2015, uh, through a mutual yeah. friend. We did our like first coach, my first kind of group coaching session together. So it was great to like meet you in that sort of context. Um, uh, let's like tell us a bit about your story. You know, what what was you know how did you begin this journey? And um, you know, let's let's start there and and understand. I think also like just give us a bit of an in, in, intro to what uh, Ultra Leap is and and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So Ultraleap is on a mission to remove the boundaries between the physical and the virtual worlds. So we want you, rather than interacting with computers by pressing keys over here to make something change over here, or tapping on a piece of glass where there's this like whole 3D world on this side and you're kind of on the outside of the window tapping in, we want to remove those boundaries and we want you to be in direct contact with the, with the 3D content and interact with your hands in the same way as you do in the uh, in, in the virtual world. Awesome. So <clears throat> where this all started, I guess, was at university, uh, University of Bristol, where I started work on um, our haptic feedback technology, which uses sound waves to project the feeling of touch through the air, which just like vibrates the surface of your skin and enables you to feel things that don't exist in the real world. Um, and I started working on that actually as part of an undergrad project at university um, in my computer science degree, and then got to the end of that project and thought, oh, I'd love to turn this into a company and build something around this. But the truth is, it didn't really work at that point in time. So, <laughs> you know, it's a good idea and some like initial bits of work. Um, so then I went on a bit of a journey, enrolling to do a PhD, using the PhD to develop the tech to the point where it was ready, and then spun it out of the university right at the back end of 2013 and um, formed the company and then kind of have been uh, growing from there. So like not, not too long before, before we met. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's one of the like really big success stories of a spin out from um, university. Uh, so yeah. How did you find that sort of, um, that that sort of journey like did you find that you had like quite a, a good kind of support network within the university to help you kind of push the 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 idea forwards and to sort of commercialize it yeah i think um uh i think um, uh, there's, there's there's a mixture uh, of things when spinning out at this point in time so there were a lot of people at the university who were super super supportive and i had a lot of help 
both in terms of forming the business plan and helping apply for some initial grant funding from a couple of different opportunities that kind of helped helped get us going. Um, we actually, there were also a lot of people saying, well, just slow down, take it slow, you know, spend a bit more time at the university, continue to develop, you know, you could still engage with companies, with customers as a, you know, as a group within the university. And I, I was hell, hell bent on like, nope, we've got to, we've got to get out, we've got to become a proper company, we've got to move fast, because I, I felt there's this sliding window. Um, so the, actually kind of the way we ended up doing that, I entered a, a business plan competition at the university won first place in that that won me a, a nice little pot of money which i then put into the company the other two co-founders put some savings in as well and then we just kind of jumped uh jumped out of the or university leaped. With, or, leaped. <laughs> or leaped yeah i guess I should, have, I, should have, I should have got that in there um, <laughs> um and then very much that sort of traditional jump off the cliff and then figure out how you're going to build the parachute as you go down um mm. So yeah, the spin-out process was, there were plenty of challenges. I think we were the first company to spin out in quite a long time. So there was all sorts of logistical challenges of um, like some of the procedures and documentation needed updating within the university, which needed the Senate to sit, which only happens every X number of months and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so there was a lot of um, that kind of stuff to fight through, but uh, I think we made it out in uh, in, in, in good shape by um, by November. As I said, had this sort of like, small pot of money to sustain us and then jumped and uh tried to figure out what happens next as, as we uh hurtled towards the ground yeah yeah i hope the parachute opens and uh yeah <laughs> no, familiar familiar story so um and yeah like have it you know <clears throat> having spoken to you in the past you 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 started that journey to sort of obviously you know build mvp and so on but you were uh, you, you you had some interested like parties early on and I think was it CES that you went out to when, when was that that you went out to sort of look it was Vegas wasn't it yeah so so I guess sort of like the typical thing that everybody does when they start a company right you start the company you get the first money in the bank account and you immediately book plane tickets to Las Vegas <laughs> um, that's what we did <laughs> to celebrate um, to celebrate or it was, it was genuinely really to meet customers but um, <laughs> happened to all be in Las Vegas so um yeah we had some initial interest as we were spinning the company out, both from investors, from potential customers, from the press. So that kind of gave us confidence that, okay, there's something here. But like the the haptics technology that we had, it's, it, it's an interface technology. So you can apply it to a lot of different use cases and applications. And we kind of sat there thinking, okay, how do we figure out what do we do? Do we try and be everything to everybody? Do we try and specialize? Do we focus on certain markets? We're like, okay, well, the thing we need to do is we just need to talk to lots of people. So we booked tickets to go to Vegas um, to attend CES, which is the biggest consumer tech show in the world. But we didn't actually pay for tickets to go to CES. We just kind of squatted in a hotel room just to the side of the show. Um, there was like the, th the three founders. We would sleep in the hotel room, wake up in the morning, tidy everything up, set it up for meetings, and then do meetings during the day. I arranged all of those meetings by, there was a plugin for Gmail called Reportive that when you were emailing somebody, it pulls up their LinkedIn profile. Oh, so yeah. I would just guess people's email addresses and just type it in. And then when the LinkedIn profile pops up, oh, that's their email address. <laughs> so I emailed like CEOs of big companies thinking they're never going to read it. They're never going to reply. But, you know, you've got to try. What have I got to lose? And all but one of those led to a meeting. Wow. We had like many of the biggest companies in the world. We had uh, 
Palmer Lucky who just won Best in Show at CES for the Oculus Rift, which had just like just appeared. He came, loads of people came, and um, all came sort of off off the beaten track. Came and found us in our hotel room, and uh, we had a lot of really good meetings. And off the back of that, we also had uh, an investor attended to sort of help us out a little on the, the sort of the commercial part of the meetings, but also gauge whether there was genuinely interest for this tech. And that all resulted in um, him putting some money into the company. And uh, well, everybody that we met said, oh, this is amazing. Can I have one? Can I have one of those demos and take it back into my lab? And the truth was we had one in the entire world. <laughs> uh, it started working. The first, the demo worked for the first time 45 minutes before the first meeting. The glue on the box dried in the overhead locker on the way out, all that kind of stuff. Um, and everybody was like, can I have one? We were like, absolutely we just need to do the manufacturing run so then after that <laughs> yeah spent several months building our evaluation kit and yeah. proper software package and everything before they're starting to sell that so yeah and and you had a you have a, like an interesting like quite a funny story and like you know every founder has one um about the direction of like the the um so yeah, you basically worked out that was it was that at university or was that once you spun out where was where was the realization about uh, maybe explain it so people sort of direction yeah, yeah uh, so I guess like um you know on the on the on the actual um the components you had them in the wrong way round oh, so they were yeah, each other. yeah. Um, that was at university yeah so <laughs> I said I did my undergrad degree working on this stuff and um uh, well I did okay in my degree so I guess I I wrote a very good report. But um, the, 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 the actual thing I'd built didn't actually work. So it was supposed to give you tactile feedback. You couldn't feel anything. Um, but it was generating some force and it was enough. So I, you know, I sort of have this device pointing upwards that you're supposed to be able to feel. I spent whatever it was, you know, eight months trying to make it work. Couldn't make it work. <laughs> Eventually turned it sideways and I used it to push a little ball across a screen. So like computer monitor down these um, uh, like uh, devices around the edge. And I created a game of Pong where you could use a game controller to move a virtual paddle and then the ball would bounce off the computer. So it was quite, a, it, was a, it was very much a, a sort of a startup pivot, but for a, um, um, for, for a research project. Then carried on doing a PhD thinking, must be able to figure out how to actually make, if you can move a ball, you must be able to feel it. You just need to more force or something like that. Anyway, turns out, the little speakers we use we use like a, a an array of little speakers that emit ultrasound a sound that's too high frequency for you to hear and turns out those have polarity which means you need to wire them the right way around uh, and if you wire one one way and one the other way rather than adding together they cancel each other out and you get nothing and they have markings on them but they did not relate at all to the polarity so everything was random it was all cancelling each other out hence no matter how much i tried to debug it it just did nothing we figured that out then turned them the right way around suddenly oh amazing you have this incredible haptic tech and then we were able to sort of like um well that's fairly early in the phd sort of big eureka moment but then after yeah, that that, that, moment, meant, that moment do you remember like you know who you were with like you know because that's that's the yeah. kind of that is just such an important yeah i was with um one of our co-founders ben uh in the lab and we sort of had that idea of but the, the marking's definitely correct, right? And then you sort of go and start measuring them and like testing them with a microphone. And then you realize, oh, no, it's not. 
and then quickly run and sort of wire a, a, an array up with them all the right way around and it works. And they're like, whoa, hey, it's like suddenly this idea has legs and we're not just going to have to kind of give up and go do something else with our lives. And, and, and champagne, and champagne moment. Did you, uh, who did you message We first? couldn't afford champagne back then, but uh, yeah. We probably, Prosecco. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we've got a Coca-Cola from the vending machine. Or but, uh, <laughs> um, the the, the run on from there is once we knew that, uh, we still had to mark them all by hand and do the measurements. And then even when we became a company, eventually we got the manufacturer to sell us, they sell us like a special part with the polarity actually marked on them properly. Um, but there was, there was a good chunk of time where that didn't exist. And we have 40,000 speakers, which have been hand tested and marked, which takes a long time, done by me, the other early employees, um, my mother-in-law. Uh, How many did you say? 40,000. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a CEO near the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the company. His wife, like <laughs> you know, we we had a a bit of an army come to bear to to do these things so that we could like ship products to customers. But yeah, that's a kind that's of what you do. Great. No, um, I like yeah. That is a that is that's the 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 point in time, and you'll never forget it. That you went from going this is just a you know an idea to this is actually reality, and that's, that's yeah. That's amazing. So uh, well, well done for working that out. It's uh, m- most most uh, discoveries are sort of to some extent by accident, aren't they? So um, yeah. yeah. Um, and you just said something interesting there. So you said early on you had a CEO. Can you talk us through? Because that's that's a really interesting. You know, in in the world, that I see a lot of founders put themselves into the CEO role sort of straight away. So um, and that that is it's, you know it's a really tough gig, right? <laughs> You know that now yeah. from, from from being in it. So what? Yeah, what was the thought process uh, early on for that that decision? Yeah, so I think um, it depends on your character and what you're good at and what you want to do, really. So for me, I um, both I wanted to stay really close to the tech, to the technology, because I thought that you know what we had when we spun out of university wasn't good enough. There were a lot of big problems to solve, and I wanted to kind of you know not get pull too far away from that and make sure we solve those key problems so that we could succeed as a company. I wanted um, I wanted to move really fast. I really felt like we had a window uh, of time in which to, uh, to succeed. I think the, the reality has been that window was actually longer than I expected, but I thought it was really short. You had uh, the tech coming on the market that enables you to track your your body and your hands. There was the connect for the Xbox, which you jump up and down in, in your in your living room. Um, there was the leap motion controller. Obviously, like leap motion uh, is now part of Ultra Leap. But I was yeah, working yeah. with David, the founder. I had one of those on my Mac. <laughs> this is super super cool, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, there's this moment now where suddenly people are starting to control their computers by moving their hands in the air, and you're lacking that tactile feedback. And if we don't strike now and get this this haptics technology out there, then there's a chance that the sort of the hype dies off and that kind of that moment in time passes and our our opportunity disappears. So I wanted to move really, really fast and figured like the the way to do that is not with me constantly standing on rakes, not knowing what I'm doing, figuring things out as I go, but to have somebody who, you know, has experience of running a company come in, take on the CEO role, and also a little bit of an understanding of myself that having gone through university and PhD and, um, you know, spent time with different people in different environments, that the way that I learn best is by 
kind of being with really smart people that I can watch and observe and be like, how do you do that? And then kind of like mm -hmm. absorb their knowledge, uh, if you like, like some kind of vampire, I guess. Um, was, was so, yeah. yeah, so that, that was the thinking was, okay, right, let's hire in a, a CEO. I'll, I'll become the CTO and focus on the technology and then we can kind of like run the company together in that, in that dynamic. So I, um, I had a mentor, he introduced me to five or six different people that were sort of potential candidates for the job. I met a bunch of them, one of them, you know, I just like resonated with uh, and kicked off. Um, so then I say, I effectively gave him a year long interview because, uh, you know, we were just kind of, I'd spent, we'd spent evenings and weekends together refining the business plan. And then I would like run the company during the day. And then uh, about a year after founding the company, we closed our seed round. And at that point, he came and joined because I guess we could pay him a salary. And uh, yeah, um, we kind of took it from there. All right. Now, that's 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 great to hear. And like, really, um, yeah, look, I think it's I, I, I'm 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 so I'm so impressed that you like recognize that in yourself and that you that that's the sort of decision you made to like give this the best sort of opportunity at the start to take it uh, on the journey and you know and 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 not only has it like worked it's 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 a lot you know it's it's allowed you to like develop and like to be the, the ceo that you are now so it's, it's so good um you know and i think there's there'll be a lot of like you know um startup founders out there that assume that they have to be the ceo like assume that they have to like step into that position um and and it, and, it's, and it is really tricky, um, a really tricky space. So, um, so yeah. Look, let's. So, you did you see round? Um, what 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 was the journey to sort of Series A? Like, where because you know you've raised over one hundred and twenty mil uh, now, right? That's that's amazing. Um, yeah. What what was that? What was it like getting to Series A? What was the? Yeah. So I guess the 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 seed round we raised that off the back of we had our first paying customers we had um like a very big automotive company a very big consumer electronics company um and yeah another very big consumer electronics company paying us money for our uh, our tech for, for sort of the evaluation kits and for us doing some custom development work for them and that was kind of the basis of which we we raised the seed round the journey to series a was then really about commercial milestones so it was about taking you know, a small handful of customers showing that they're interested enough to part with a material amount of cash to a more extensive pipeline, more focused on what are our target markets, what's the business model of how we're really going to scale this. We'd really sort of worked that through. We'd seen those early seed customers and more start progressing through the pipeline, not to anybody actually shipping a product yet, but, you know, we had some good development contracts, we had some um, good customers in the roadmap, and then just a good funnel of, uh, of customers coming in and buying the, the kits. So just generally growth in commercial traction. There was a big question around our Series A round of, should we move the company? Like we're headquartered mm -hmm. in Bristol in the UK, should we move A to London? Or the bigger question really, should we move to California? Um, mm -hmm. Like that was, a, that was a big question for our Series A and ultimately, um, there were kind of two two pieces to that. Can we can we get customers from where we are in the UK? The answer to that was yes. We just need to, you know, spend enough time on planes, and then that works out. Um, yeah. And question two was: Can we raise not just can we raise enough 
money? Can we, can we raise a Series A round in the UK? But can we raise the right type of investment? And we kind of we very much saw ourselves as what we do is it's it's deep tech, so you need enough money and enough time to 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 become successful. So we really needed to raise like patient capital, like money from investors that don't have a, a short fund window where they're going to come and try and exit you in uh, in, in, a, in a few years time. Yeah. And we managed to do that. And that was really kind of the moment we sort of like solidified that we're going to stay in the UK and uh, and grow the headquarters here. So. No, awesome. Um, and it was at that stage, because you've kind of got like three core cool sectors, haven't you? Had, had, that, had that started to form uh, at that stage, the, the maybe just like, yeah, let people know what those sectors yeah, are. Yeah, we, yeah, not, 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 they were not the same three as now. So automotive was there and well established. Um, we, we, we were not doing anything, oddly enough, in virtual reality at that point. It was, it was, uh, it was very early in the the virtual reality industry. I think even by our Series A, generally people were still interacting with headsets. You you buy the headset and then you you get an Xbox controller and you'd use the Xbox controller. So most of the experiences were kind of like like sticking a goldfish bowl on and then kind of <laughs> looking around and moving with a with an Xbox controller. So we yeah. didn't. Um, we kind of saw like there's there's potentially a really good fit there, but we didn't really understand or, or couldn't figure out exactly how do we tie into that industry? What's the business model that's going to work for us? Um, so we weren't doing anything in that. We were looking more at some other, you know, we had like early traction in some other industries, like some consumer electronics products, um, some sort of like smart home or, or sort of um, whatever you call them, machines that you use in your house kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, but auto was the was the big focus, and then then we we kind of really bought in virtual reality in our Series B. The Series B raise was basically right. We figured out our play in VR now. Here's here's what we're going to do, and here's the the money we need to go and execute that. Amazing. And then and then so obviously you, you guys were ultra haptics when you you, you set out. Um, when did the um you, the, the sort of magic leap sort of connection? what series and I guess what year when, when was that sort of happening yeah so 2019 um was the year May 2019 um so as I said we'd worked with Leap Motion for like longer than Ultra Haptics existed uh they'd always had the best hand tracking in the world and our two technologies complemented each other really well and it kind of got to the point where we were starting to think, you know, we really need these two roadmaps to be tightly aligned because um, you have things like if on the hand tracking side, you're prioritizing accuracy of motion over accuracy of position. So making sure that the relative change is is highly accurate at the expense of exactly where is this fingertip, mm. then that's bad for the haptics because if you're going to try and target haptics onto a fingertip, you might miss the fingertip because it's not actually where you think it is. So there's little things like that where like the input and the output, it's really important that they're kind of tightly coupled. And around this time, you know, I was talking to David in between as we kind of hatched this plan uh, to bring the two companies together. And that actually, you know, ultimately resulted in um, Ultra Haptics acquiring Leap Motion. We brought the two companies together. And then um, then we did a rebrand because uh, 
kind of like the names don't really make sense. So conveniently, uh, we were able to kind of pretty quickly sit down and be like, what's the favorite part of your name? <laughs> Leap. Okay. What's the favorite part of your name? Ultra. Okay. How about we just do this? <laughs> oh yeah, that's really nice. Uh, so it was, uh, um, uh, like, I guess easy to concoct rebrand and then, uh, then we had to roll it out. So. Oh, that's nice. Good to hear. The, um, uh, I haven't been through like a few, a few mergers and, and acquisitions. I mean, they're not easy. You know, there's a, whenever, whenever, you know, we've looked or done it in the past, I've always looked at the values of the two organizations and tried to understand, is there going to be, if we try to like bring these two sort of groups together, there's always going to be sort of, you know, subcultures within the cultures of those two organizations, but like mm -hmm. actually trying to, um, you know, dovetail and, and not just systems, but the way people think and work is a, is a real challenge um how did you how did you make that a success yeah i mean i think the we we had a good starting point and that i think there was a large amount of cultural overlap between the two companies and um, we were both uh kind of hacky startups trying to figure out similar challenges we you know there's so many things we both looked at from the different angle um and things that we've done together in the past so there was there, there was a bunch of commonality but there's also a whole bunch of differences right i think you're going to get that even if you took two um companies that kind of almost look the same from the outside and that's hard right you're 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 kind of fusing two cultures together and trying to figure out uh you know for each each thing that is different which one do you pick to keep which or do you pick something different entirely for the combined entity um and yeah even with people who really like each other and are not that far misaligned that's still really hard work right it's labor intensive it's tiring it's uh, a lot of things that mean something to people to humans so um i think ultimately it involves a lot of a lot of talking and a lot of you know being open, being candid, and just spending time trying to understand and trying to work through and trying to figure out how you kind of like merge those things together. And then also a little element of just being patient. I've heard of other companies that have done, um, I might get this wrong, but I think it was Flex. I think Flex, uh, who were like Flexport, they acquire a lot of companies. And um, I've heard stories of whether it's them or somebody else, somebody similar, their CEO does this session where after they've done an acquisition, they go in and um, meet, have it all hands. And they spend like half an hour asking that company to explain their culture and you know everybody goes into details of what they like about it and everything else and then he goes right well that's gone and it's never coming back here is the <laughs> culture of our company this is now what you're part of and this is that's a really hard slap wow. um, for some organizations i can imagine that working for what we wanted to do to do is very much about trying to trying to to get the benefits of both sides and trying to fi always figure out like what have we learned and what can we what can we improve and i think for that you just gotta you gotta keep working at it and you've also got to be patient like it takes time so don't overly force it like be kind to people and just keep working on it over time and then uh, then you get to a to a really good point uh, after after a while yeah i know i mean it's um yeah it's 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 well, well, well done. Like I, I think, like especially as you get more senior within like the organisations, when you bring in, you know, MDs from like other companies, and then they, you know, take on roles within your your board, that can be really tricky when they've been used to being like the MD. It's it's that's a that that is something I've certainly um, 
found found quite hard but um yeah and and like product wise have you kind of yeah maybe you know don't share it if you don't if you don't want to but have you if you kind of yeah, kept two sort of product teams but like have a lot of cross kind of collaboration or? yeah no we we've 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 brought the teams together so um like from that there, there was a bunch of areas of overlap where we kind of if you if you if you tried the two companies separate, then you end up with like duplication of effort. So we tried to fuse those together, and then also, um, uh, yeah, there, there's just a bunch of pieces where if we're going to deliver a product together, there were skills that existed in you know one of the companies or the other that didn't in the other, and we kind of need to like connect those up in how we de- deliver products. So everything is entirely unified we have one engineering team um that take things end to end from um from like ideation right through to shipping products and um i mean we kind of started pretty early on with right let's kind of what if what if we just rebuilt everything from the ground up uh so like all of the (laughs) platform code um we delivered v5 of the hand tracking gemini which the you know the the elite motion team had already made like substantial progress on before um before the merger, but there's still a huge amount of lifting there, and that was like a pretty substantial you know rebuild of the the core technology. We did all of the platform rebuild, the sort of camera hardware and everything um so that that process in many ways of kind of turning over everything you've got and kind of going back to the beginning and kind of rebuilding and improving and setting up for what we wanted to do as the new company going forwards and kind of like enabling that forward momentum was actually very helpful because again i think while you're trying to bring people together if they've got a mission and like a a hard task that we're all trying to achieve together then that's like uh that's often a helpful thing get people working together and they start uh uh building up experience which is which is good yeah and so you you know not only sort of you know diff- different kind of products trying to merge together different time zones as well that's that's i mean that again mm. <laughs> just as you're closing your laptop yeah. everyone else is you know getting getting the other side of the ponds getting up so yeah the the whole uk california thing is uh is not easy um it's yeah lots of lots of things happening in the evening luckily i mean the team we've got are, are, are brilliant so um we really try and maximize well, effectively, the crossover hours, sort of late afternoon, evening, UK, early morning, uh, sort of um, in California, we try and maximize those. We have some teams where the actual team themselves is split between UK and California, where um, the team will shift their hours on some days and kind of work California hours. So you try and come up with um, with different routes. And again, just try and be super flexible with like have some common rules that work for everybody and then try and be super flexible with, you know, individuals as they're trying to fit things in and around their work life and their home life and kind of what works for them. Um, and then of course you add in Asia as well. You know, we have uh, people out in China and Japan and uh, plenty of customers in Asia these days. So uh, as much as possible, we try to, um, you know, particularly for engineering or building products, we'll try to keep people on one side or the other of the, of the planet uh, <laughs> and try and protect their concentration as much as possible. Um, then I've never set on an ultra leap path. Yeah, sometimes you need to be on calls in the morning, then do a day, and then calls later. That 
it's sometimes inevitable, but you, you try and sort of like shape it in a way that works. And yeah. um, I have this big thing. There's a, I can't remember where I heard it first. It might even have been Naval, who the um, angelist guy who's, uh, I don't know, a bit of a philosopher on these kind of things. I think he had a phrase, work like a lion, which I quite like. And I've sort of tried to, uh, like the old leapers have heard me talk about this a lot. And the, the concept of work like a lion is, um, if you try, you, you ultimately want to work in a way that is sustainable. If you try to therefore just sit on a perfectly sustainable line forever, then you're going to miss the gazelle, right? Uh, <laughs> so if the, li- if the lion is like, I want to be sustainable, I'm never going to get tired, then it's never going to catch a gazelle. So what the lion does is when there's a gazelle and it's hungry, it works really, really hard. It goes and chases, it hunts and it, it gets the gazelle, then it eats then it spends most of its time sleeping under a tree. So uh, oh. <laughs> it's like everybody, we want everybody to work in a sustainable way. We don't want everybody kind of like grinding themselves down. Um, but we want to do it with this like um, like mentality of if there's something to, to hunt and win, go and hunt and win that. And then when there's uh, kind of more peaceful times, make sure you kind of like use that to recover, take it easy, you know, uh, take a bit more time, uh, whatever you need to kind of, get back to uh get back to the level yeah i mean i was going to say cause we, 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 we were just chatting before we've both got young families that's much harder isn't it to get the sort of the, the sleeps in and how, how, how are you managing that i i, I mean i yeah sleep deprivation <laughs> is real for, for me right now so <laughs> yes um do you know when when my daughter was born uh i actually found it not quite as bad as I was expecting because I was like, this is kind of like jet lag. It's kind of like flying around a lot. You end up kind of You've tired, seen that already. a bit messed up. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of like somewhat familiar with this. But then, um, uh, then I realized I think we had it relatively easy in the early days, <laughs> and then it, then it definitely got harder. So, um, yeah, it's it's hard work, and you in trying to fuse that, um, you know, a, a job that's very demanding with. Uh, then trying to spend as much time with my daughter as possible and, you know, mm-hmm. play with her and give her lots of attention with then also trying to like give my wife a, a, a break wherever possible and spend some time with her as well and trying to yeah. stitch all those things together. And, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of impossible to, to do everything that you want. But, um, again, just trying to like, keep conscious of that and you know proactively say right no, now i'm going to carve out times for these things and we have we have california so i, I guess i i've kind of shifted my evening calls later so that i can come home and have dinner uh, with um with her and spend some time and do bath time and bedtime and then be like okay right now i need to go and like do a couple of calls from california and things like that so yeah you just try and throw things up in the air and try and like, rearrange them in a way that fits but yeah uh, well, look, well, well done. I, I mean, I, it is, you know, I, I, so I talk about like what it's like scaling companies, like, you know, we're quite a lot of CEOs and I I am, um, it's so diff. I, I can't describe how different it is trying to build a business with a, a young family. It's just, I mean, you know, it's a completely different, like, you know, niche or, or like it's, you have to have completely different like mindset because you can't, yeah. The key thing is you can't make up the time that you would have because normally stuff doesn't go to plan in the day you make it up in the evening and then you're back to yeah. where you want to be the next day maybe the i don't i don't like to work at like weekends but ha, ha, you know i was happy to put in the hours in, in the in the weekdays 
but yeah you just don't you don't have it like that that time's not there and in and it's so you have to become like super efficient or you know or good at it 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 delegating and like what you've just talked about is intentionally setting out with this is you know this is when i am available you have to basically be really boundary don't you and say you know this is blocked out i'm available this side and this side but you, you basically have to be really clear with your boundaries and in, intentionally set that in the first instance. Yeah, it's a good forcing function as well to get, uh, I guess, more efficient, faster at making decisions, um, like quicker at delegating, uh, just anything that you may have, you know, however you sort of organize yourself, you need to do that faster and better. And so um, sometimes those kind of forcing functions can be helpful. Um, and then, as you say, having rules and figuring out when there's always infinite things asking for your time. So just because something's asking for your time and you haven't got to it doesn't mean you should necessarily do it. You have to say no to more things and then getting good at knowing, OK, what are the really important things where yeah, got to flex, got to find out a way of making this happen? What are the things that's like, mm, yeah, you know. That would be nice, but it's not essential. So that just has to. We, we could dive away. into some like mod models here, but yeah, I mean, I've just I've just finished like four thousand weeks, and I think that I don't know if you've read that, but the, the, you've got four thousand weeks on the the the, the planet. Basically, right. um, the key takeaway from that and a bit of an aha moment is the to do list will never, you know, be done. Mm -hmm. So stop trying, stop fooling yourself. Um, I've always liked like Eisenhower. So trying to like prioritize important uh, over urgent mm -hmm. is like an, ama an amazing like um, technique. And I guess the bit that you're kind of alluding to there, like with the delegation is um, I quite like the Amazon model, which is what, you know, there's some decisions that are like sort of type one and type two sort of decisions, type one are irreversible, type two are reversible. So it's about like really only getting involved with type one decisions in the business. So. Yeah, and aiming to make those decisions when you're like, when you have 70% of the information you need, don't wait for 100%, just yeah. it's 70%. And if you've, got, if you've got 70% and it's reversible, go for it. And then watch what happens and see if you, uh, see if that was the right decision or not. You can always change your mind. So. Have you got any other models or any models that you, you particularly sort of? Well, you, you said about the um, uh, the to do list. You'll never you'll, you'll never complete it. You never finished. No one's ever uh, <laughs> no completed one's ever to dos. That, um, that that was a big switching point for me. It was um, I like the getting things done um, methodology. David uh, David Allen. That was one of the key things he has in there. It's like the to do list will never be done. So he has this sort of phrase, mind like water, which is like stop holding things in your head, stop stressing about them. Like there's always going to be more things on the to do list. And I think that the GTD approach, the core of it is still brilliant and I still use it. Some of it doesn't really work anymore. It has these kind of like contexts for which location you're in. The reality is if you've got an iPhone, you can probably do like 95% of the things on your list wherever you are in the world. Um, but the like some of the concepts of be okay, never getting to the end of the list because you're never going to and um, uh, doing just like a weekly review just so you're kind of like, just sitting down once a week and going, okay, what is all the stuff I've got to do? Like resorting through the things you kind of chucked on there during the week or emails that came in that you're like, I need to do that when I have some time. And then you're never going to be able to do everything, but then you at least know that you're starting with the most important thing and working down. So you know, you have confidence you're working on the, 
the biggest fires um, and you kind of like just get comfortable. There's going to be some fires that just burn, you know, but they're the small ones. So that's okay. Uh, we're dealing with the biggest ones. So, uh, yeah. That's good. No, look, that's good. That's yeah. Really interesting to hear like your, your approach and like, um, yeah, like the, you know, a business is not scalable if you are, if, if, if everything needs you in it. So, you know, being able to delegate, know that you've got team members that step up and, and 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 do it and own it you know that accountability piece is key um in in previous organizations for me like okrs has been the point at which that has made all the difference because you know the objective gets people out of bed and the kr is you know a bit more like a to-do list but it's you know I, i just find that works the that's the best way and you can cascade it from a primary vision and that's that's when you can really um you can sleep well at night because you can start to see what you know what is and isn't working across your organization if you if you've got the right reporting from it so yeah so. yeah yeah also a fan of okrs yeah we we use them here and have kind of like a cascade down where yeah annual okrs quarterly okrs and then for all the product development we plan plan that in phases which is six weeks so kind of like half a quarter and then two week sprints so you kind of get this big cascade down from what we're doing in the year right down to uh what the teams are doing every uh every two week sprint so that that works nicely and just kind of gives you the right graduation when you want to sit back and look at like where are we going again you can kind of like zoom up to whatever level you uh you need to yeah no great uh, hey look tom you're, i mean you're, you're so level-headed like and yet you you know you're you're on a you know on a rocket ship at the moment like what you know, you talked about having a mentor, like, is that something that you still do? Do you still like, you know, have, have people around you that can help you? Um, you know, how, how we, how we, how we think is probably, you know, mindset is such an important part of leadership, isn't it? So yeah, is that something you still sort of do? And yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I've got good, mentors attached to the company both kind of on our board um that i get to talk to and spend a lot of time with and then also um some sort of like helpful people with good in- industry backgrounds that i can uh, that i can call on i also work with a coach regularly just having that um that person again i've got a great team inside the company who like have a lot of experience in their different domains and in like some amazing companies that they've worked for in the past that I can like I personally can learn a lot from them while we're while we're going but it's also tremendously helpful just to have somebody who's entirely independent and like their only interest is you and you can just sort of work through problems and ideas with them I've actually recently um also started using chat gpt for that when you can kind of like i think that's actually one of the best uses of chat gpt is uh is the 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 gpt builder kind of tuned what been tuning one up to be a effective kind of like a business coach it's not as good as having a human business coach but when you're just trying to like you know you've got 10 minutes and you're trying to think something through then being able to like have a conversation there is actually like really useful as just like an on-demand um like basic sanity checking um kind of approach and then um yeah just kind of putting that mixture together is uh, uh it, it is a good thing yeah i love yeah i mean a ma- massive fan of chat gpt that like, i've just recently been using the actual conversation piece so uh um or, or you know functionality that is 
that it's it's you know it's uncanny valley it's amazing it's that you know there's an it's amazing what you, you're literally like having a, a conversation and sort of bouncing back and forth ideas with you know with it basically <laughs> and it's, it's, yep. it's, it is it is it is it's amazing uh you know that that you know that the, the and we're still kind of at the start of all this sort of stuff so it's 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 scary how effect, how how powerful that is um so really really pleased you brought that up and hopefully uh others think about the um the, how they could like use that or have that um in their in their sort of uh um self sort of reflection uh part yeah. of their day um so we kind of we've kind of got, walked through quite a you know a, quite a journey. We 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 haven't quite got to Series D yet. So that was was that twenty twenty one. So that was the biggest raise yet. So just talk us through yes. uh, to talk us through that. And um, yeah, it's I mean you, you know there there's only a there's only a certain number of people on the planet who kind of get to Series D. So uh, congratulations. How did you get there? Yeah, I guess. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, raising, raising money and getting to later rounds is all in the aim of uh, funding the product development. Like so the, um, I, I was definitely guilty of this in the beginning. When you look at people who've raised huge amounts of money and being like, well, look how much money they raised. The, the key thing is what products have they built uh, and who's using it? That's the, that's the cool thing. The money is just a vehicle to get there. So yeah. um, ultimately kind of how we got to series D was by building good products and, you know, creating um, good deals with customers that enabled them to, 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 to ship to, to themselves, ship awesome products. So I guess really the, the sort of the, the jump there was the, um, uh, Leap Motion coming on board and rebranding to Ultra Leap happened between the Series D, Series C, and Series D. So effectively, what we've done by Series D is uh, expanded to include hand tracking, um, done a bit of a rebrand. We had uh, done some deals. I think Vario was the first company to ship hand tracking integrated into their headset. We did that deal very, very quickly following. Um, was sort of May 2019 for um, kind of Leap Motion coming on board. And then that headset was announced before the end of the year. So that was a, a really fast journey. And um, yeah, it was just kind of like that continuing expansion as a company and uh, customer progress, revenue progress that then leads to uh, us going out and raising the Series D. That was led by Tencent. So we had sort of strategics coming on board there as well as the other mix of investors that we um, that we already had. And um, yeah, kind of the, the, the goal was really to give us the funding to power um, power our, our, our plans and uh, sort of like the next growth journey of the company. Um, I will say that it also looks great. You know, we went out and raised this money. It was sort of 2021. And we started going out and trying to raise the money beginning of 2020. And I actually was on a plane, I was in Japan and South Korea, um, having very early investor meetings. We were just starting to think about going out and raising. And it was absolutely like, you know, terrified on that trip because Japan had four cases of COVID and Korea had four cases when I landed and 400 cases when I took off 36 hours later. Wow. And um, we're like, whoa, narrow escape, safe to say. 
back in the UK, sort of 10 days later, South Korea and Japan looked like, you know, uh, you know, an oasis in the world. And the UK was uh, uh, far, far worse in terms of COVID cases. And then yeah. trying to raise money remotely for technology that you kind of have to feel to understand what it really is, is pretty challenging. So we kind of like pressed pause on the funding round and let the pandemic settle down a bit before we uh, uh, went back to it and tried to tried to do the raise. So yeah, yeah. fun times. Yeah, no, I mean, it's still weird. Like maybe it's about the timing of when it happened and how long you need, you know, to really co- really consider what happened. It's only recently that, oh, it's weird when you talk about it. When, you know, I've had a few conversations down the pub recently, you know, and it's, a, we're talking about how, how crazy like you know 2020 2021 was it's uh it seems yeah. like it's something that didn't happen because it was when you think about you know that time so anyway yeah um yeah so um so and now you you know we, we mentioned it at the start you've got the uh, apple vision pro coming out so i guess you know what 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 next what does this mean for you and what what does what does the what does 2024 you've, you've just had your 10-year party i guess in in 2023 yes. what does yep. what yeah no, the we, next we 10 years 10, uh, 10 months 10, and 10, 10 years so i think you know in many ways up to this point the virtual reality augmented reality industry has been um somewhat niche and trying to figure out its footing so there's a clear consumer use case but the 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 software hasn't really been kind of good enough for people to be able to just sort of pick up a headset and use it as easily as a smartphone um one of the key things there is you have to learn the controllers uh you know the different hands have different buttons you can't see them when you have the headset on uh it's kind of it's harder than with a games console to, to sort of learn the controls and then you're doing something that's slightly unnatural and then just the, the software has been a bit of a challenge there's very very clear like high value in the enterprise use cases so that's been growing nicely you have companies like lufthansa use our hand tracking they've trained twenty thousand air cabin crew so uh, if anybody goes and gets on a Lufthansa flight, your air cabin crew will have been trained using our uh, our, our tech, which is awesome. But even then, you're you're still in like a relatively uh, small niche in the in the world. I think the thing that changes with Apple entering the market is it brings a huge amount of consumer attention. It's going to bring a lot of developers to um, virtual reality, augmented reality, or spatial interaction, as they're they're calling it. Mm. Um, and they've really figured out some of the software layer pieces as well. And I think we'll see a lot of companies who've kind of, to some extent, been waiting for Apple to appear and see what they do are going to take heavy, heavy inspiration from uh, from what they've done. And you'll kind of get a bit more of a, like a unified approach to, um, to how them use headsets, which I think. So all of those forces are going to be super, super helpful. Um, the other thing for us, you know, Apple is uh, has launched their headset and it's hands first. There are no controllers. You use your hands to uh, to interact with everything. Um, you kind of like look at things and then pinch to click. And, um, you know, two things that we're very good at. One is enabling you to interact with complicated 3D shapes and objects if there are virtual stuff in your environment. I think that's something that, you know, version one of the Apple Vision Pro, most of the interfaces are 2D as they're kind of transitioning you over to this type of computing 
a little bit like the first iPhone, the Notes app was like mm-hmm. lined paper with like a spiral at the top and things like this. So they're, they're doing that same kind of transition. Um, as it gets more 3D, it's going to need better and better hand tracking. That's kind of what we have. And then also um, this this push that you're going to be wearing these devices for long periods of time. So you need to not be using controllers. You want to use your hands, but you also we've been sat here uh, having a conversation for the last hour. We like wave our arms in the air to gesticulate, but you spend a lot of the time with your arms down, right? Resting and then in a comfortable position, you're going to yeah. need to be able to do that. And so the other thing that um, we were kind of like get, bringing to our customers is what we call micro gestures. So really small, fine movements you can do with your hands that uh, you can do from a, like a lazy position. So for example, if you're, if you're going to be doom scrolling on social media, you can just um, uh, move your thumb along your forefinger uh, in a way that's sort of even more comfortable than holding an iPhone and uh, doing this kind of scrolling move. You can feel your thumb and forefinger against each other. Um, we're the only people who can track that down to that level of accuracy that uh, you can use that. And then you can kind of just sit back and scroll and do these like little interactions. So I think that's kind of what we're going to see. A lot more consumer interest, a lot more content kind of like the early days of the iPhone where people were creating wild and wacky apps, like a lot of experimentation and um, like a settling over the, the the next sort of 12, 18 months on what are the best um, little interaction tricks and approaches. I'm really excited. Things like the uh, the hamburger icon on, uh, on your phone, the sort of three little yeah. lines that reveals the menu. That was invented by an app developer you know, uh, after like two generations of the iPhone, somebody came up with that, put it in their app. Everybody was like, that's a great idea. And now it's just like default for everybody. So I'm kind of excited to discover those as people are trying to figure that out with hands and in virtual content. So amazing, it's going to be fun. No, really, really, really exciting. Um, And yeah, as you say that it, it, you know, it's the sort of confluence of technologies and, um, you know, there's kind of this element of it took a while to realize the importance of augmented, didn't it? Because we started going down the VR, you know, the initial thing was VR. And then you sort of realize actually augmented is there's something quite special about still being in our world, but, you know, overlaying it. And anyway, there's there's some super, super cool yeah. things coming down the line. Um, so like going right back to, um, you know, when you were doing your, um, your university, um, if, if someone was, you know, in, in your position right now, what's, what advice would you give them having been on this journey for the last, you know, 10 plus years? <clears throat> yeah, good question. I mean, I guess the first thing, if you're, if you're going right back to when I was at university, the first thing I'd say is do it, like make the jump. Cause, uh, you know, I had that, I was having those conversations at that time. Like I, I had a job offer, um, I just hadn't signed a contract yet to go and work for a software development consultancy. And the idea that instead of doing that, I'm going to go and do a PhD and try and build a company. It sounds super risky. It's not what any of my friends are doing. It's, you know, it sounds, it, you can easily convince yourself oh, that's a bad idea, but um, I, I did it and took the jump. And I would say to you know anybody else who's in that same position and kind of thinking about it, um, I definitely encourage taking the jump. I think, Doing this, I, I've not seen any any other way to learn as fast as you do when you try and, yeah, 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 yeah. like I say, jump off a cliff and figure out how to build your parachute. It puts you, it's plenty of pressure, plenty of stress, but it, it kind of um, uh, opens doors, gets you access to information, gets you experiences you can't get away, uh, and you just learn super, super fast. So I think 
after starting the company at any point in time, had the company, you know, imploded or failed or not worked, I think I would have been in a better position for me personally in terms of my growth and also kind of my ability to then go and have a career doing something else if I, if I decided that maybe entre- entrepreneurship was not the thing. Um, I'd have been in a bit of better, better position doing that. And then the other thing I'd say is um, it's just I, as, as, as effectively as you can try and figure out how to get fast feedback. You know, I said mm. we jumped on a plane and went to Vegas straight away because we just wanted to put this in front of lots of people and listen to what they said about it. Um, some like plenty of founders these days create software it's an app or a website you can put it out and you can immediately track stats and data and things like that and um there's a lot of information out there on how to do that if you're doing like a deep tech company you can't do that like i can't just magically enable everybody to have you know expensive hardware systems on day one um so it's really about getting creative and trying to figure out okay how do we get this into the hands of as many people as possible and how do we make sure they don't just disappear into their own lab but they're actually giving us feedback and we're talking to them and we're, we're getting information so um yeah i think that's a important things awesome man awesome well look um yeah i really enjoyed the conversation today and uh yeah was it's been great tracking your your sort of you know journey and um really appreciate you sharing that with us um you know and uh yeah long 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 may it last and and you know often talk about sort of exponential you know technologies but it it feels like you know we may only be one percent through at the moment you know that that next that next stage is uh, is when you get the other 99 percent. so um you know really really excited for what that that means for you and um and your team so um yeah look so there you have it let's let's uh make sure we take the leap um and you're gonna step step on rakes so i love that saying it's you know it just it it's constantly stepping on rakes in in, in the in the startup world work like a lion and um yeah i hope you you know if you're listening you feel like you can go out there um if you've, if you've got an idea yeah get get out there and go it, it, the best way to learn about yourself is to go on that scaling journey and try and understand you know how, how you operate and who you need around you to um to be successful because you know you never you can't do it on your own you can't be everything so that's one of the biggest learns i think so um yeah finally thank you tom um for joining today been awesome um Really appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, James. It's been awesome being here. Yeah, it's great. And I f- uh, thanks to the listeners. And yeah, I hope you feel slightly wiser this Wednesday as a result. So take care all. Cheers. <laughs>